Buddy, stop. Come back here. You can't bite the mail carrier. That's it. You're going to the shelter. I don't know what else to do with you. Millions of dogs are abandoned each year because of behavioral and aggression issues. If you are eager to find training content that fits your need and don't want to be overwhelmed by massive, unstructured online resources, check out Sniffy. You can customize your own training plan and learn how to train your dog with science-based positive reinforcement. Sniffy will also help you create your own daily practice list and establish your training routine. Download Sniffy, that's S-N-I-F-F-Y, on your App Store or Google Play Store today. Welcome to the Humane Roundup Podcast, where we share all the exciting stories about animal cruelty investigations, dangerous animals, and amazing rescues. Find out what goes on inside of animal shelters and all the current trends in the animal welfare industry. Now, here is your host, Daniel Edinger. Good morning or evening or whenever the heck you're listening to this because it's a podcast. It's not a live show. Welcome to episode 87. How's it going, Bishop? Going? How, how was your vacation? Vacations are hard when you're burned out, right? Uh, yeah. Try to I do your we'll... best to relax, and yet all you can think about is work. And then I'm so, like, <laughs> I can't get away from work. I have an issue, and I'm really excited about today's guest that we'll get to here in a little bit about burnout and compassion fatigue. But, like, I even on vacation, I visit animal shelters. What's wrong with me? Well, I mean, that's just self-sabotage. <laughs> Yeah, I, like I don't, I don't know what my problem is in that regard. Like I, I think I'm so, like, when I started, I was so in love with this profession, right, and just wanted to like really, really like do as much as I can to learn as much and and be as involved as as I am. But I think it comes with a a steep price in that mm-hmm. aspect. So yeah, we did. We visited the Seattle Animal Shelter while we were up there, and. Uh, you know, just learned some good things and got to talk and network a little bit, but it, is it worth it in the end? Like it, it, and not with no disrespect to their facility, but for me and my mental health, you know, is it really worth it going out there spending, we only spent like an hour, but it's just then, you know, you start, yeah, you start thinking about your own job and how things compare and relate or whatever. And so, I don't know. It's it was a good like it was actually a fun time. We enjoyed it. It's beautiful up there in the North Pacific Northwest. But I just I need to figure out a different uh, way to disconnect sometimes. Works it's just I, you know, I'm at that stage of burnout 10 years in the career or 11 years I guess now overall. Uh, and it's just it gets to you, you know, there's just different ways to to deal with it and I'm really excited that we're going to talk more about that here in a little bit with our guest, Jennifer Blau, with the Compassion Fatigue Couch. She has her own podcast. You've listened to that, yeah? Yes, I believe so. Cool. Yeah, so, I mean, she has her, you know, her way of tackling some of this burnout stuff, so I'm excited to hear from her here in a little bit. How are you? Pretty good. Um, Definitely, like, can commiserate with the whole burnout thing. I mean, we're still... I, for me, it, it's more of the 
like political stuff, like just getting so busy and then people expecting things to be done when they don't even understand what our job is. Um, so we're running into a lot of that with the trap new to return and the licensing stuff. And I had to stay home on Friday with my kids because, you know, they have a cough. So, oh, no, it could be COVID, even though it's absolutely not COVID. Um, but we, I stayed home and of course I got, you know, a call from the health department because they didn't know what else to do to try to get somebody to go reach out for this dog bite. So on your day off, you don't get a yep. break. Nope. Yeah. And then it presents itself in different ways, right? Through stress or like, you know, for me, it's like, maybe I'm like more short tempered or mm -hmm. just frustrated. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's rough. Like it's some of the unspoken things in this industry. We think that we get into it and it's just all saving animals and et cetera. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of stress that comes with it. Absolutely. Well, don't forget to, I don't want this to be such a somber down episode. Check out some of our past episodes. If you're just listening now, if you're just catching us now, we have some great previous episodes you can check out. H.O. Bishop, that's Humane Officer Bishop on Instagram and Facebook. And then I'm also there as Animal Protection Officer Daniel. Don't forget to like, share, and rate the podcast on whatever platform you are listening. And just, you know, this is here for you. So give us feedback. Go to our website, humaneroundup.com, and, and give us, you know, send us a, a message if you want to. Call our little phone number we have, our text line, whatever you want to do, man. This is all just here for you to reach out and honestly to 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 be we're an advocate of voice for you in some aspects so we're here to to get your perspective and to maybe help you with some of your own stuff too so that's why we bring these guests on and hopefully it's beneficial absolutely cool well let's introduce our first guest today and that's jenna jen blau she is coming from us with the or from the compassion fatigue couch which is her own podcast and jen welcome to the show i know you have a lot of experience in the animal welfare industry and just wanted to say hello and, and welcome guys thanks so much for having me um i do have a lot of experience in the animal welfare and actually animal rights uh fields but i also have a lot of experience with compassion fatigue and burnout uh my own that's good. That, and that's really helpful. And I'm, that's I, I, good. That's we great. Really, well, but it is. I mean, at least it you know, helps you understand us. Yeah, yeah relatability absolutely. is absolutely. It's a big thing, right? So yeah, yeah. Th that's what's important. Can you, for our listeners who may not know who Jen Blau is, can you just give a brief introduction so we have a, a better overall sense of who you are and kind of why you're here to join us today? Sure, absolutely. So I have been in, involved in animal welfare pretty much my whole life. Um, but professionally, I worked in an animal shelter and I did, oh gosh, everything from, you know, as a euthanasia tech, I was a wildlife tech, I did adoptions, you know, kennel attendant, uh, pretty much every role you can imagine in a shelter. And then I burned out. I didn't know it. Okay, so then a few years go by and I did, I don't know, whatever, random jobs. And then I just, I was being pulled back, pulled back. So I, I went through the um, Cruelty Investigations Academy and I got trained as an animal control officer. And I moved out of state 
uh, to California and, and I became an ACO. Once again, <laughs> burned out, didn't know it at the time. Um, and during that time, there was some cir personal circumstances going on that led me back to grad school. And I wanted to study psychology and become a counselor. And it was in grad school that I heard of this term compassion fatigue. And the professor is listing all these symptoms. And I, it just like this huge light bulb moment. I said, oh my God, th this is what I have been struggling with this whole time. It's not that I was weak or damaged or not cut out for the field. I was burned out. I had severe compassion fatigue. And so right then and there, I said, you know what? Once I get my degree and I'm licensed, I am going to turn around and uh, this is the uh, this is the the audience the clientele that I want to work with the ACOs the shelter workers the animal rights activists the you know anyone that's involved in the uh, animal protection field I want to specialize in helping them and so I guess that's that's kind of the short version of how I got to to where I am today short version but it's I mean it probably took a toll on you to get here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I've been at the point where, um, you know, and, and I speak about this freely because I, I don't want there to be any shame, any stigma with it. Um, but I did get to the point where you know, I was sitting in the youth room one day and contemplating how much blue juice it would take to end my own life. So I about 17 cc's for me. So I'm I'm, I, I know <laughs> I'm not yeah, and I say yeah, it, like, exactly I say it joking around but at the same time I don't like you, you think like those thoughts do go through your head like it's reality do. Uh, do. because we yeah it's it's a it's something that like I've never sat there with a needle and like and even like entertained it but you do think about it you know you think about it and, and it is good that you can say that even if it was you know with half a sense of humor because that is really one of the best coping skills against compassion fatigue and burnout is maintaining that sense of humor. You have to. Well, here's the, I guess the caveat with that is it's a selective few or know your audience in that aspect because our sense of humor is so, it's okay. just such a morbid, dark sense of humor that it's absolutely difficult for the general people that don't do this job to, to really understand. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you walk by the euthanasia room and, and you, you know, if, if walls could talk, the public would be mortified. Right. But what they don't understand is that you have this kind of sick, twisted sense of humor because what's the alternative? You know, you're going to be in the fetal position crying in the corner of the room. Well, and it's funny you say that because I remember there was, a point in time, this was many years ago at the beginning of my, or more towards the beginning of my near career with uh, animal welfare in general. And we had to do a mass euthanasia of our cat population between police virus and ringworm. We just couldn't manage it. And I remember like, oh, we're having, like, because we would, we would do some, the, the way that they did, I wasn't the, euthanasia tech at the time um and i think they were sedating them prior to but they would get all you know wobbly and drunk and so we were having a drunken kitty party <laughs> was how we got through it we're like oh they're having a great grand old time you know being drunk and having a party but so we can laugh about that and joke about it here on the podcast but like let's say somebody's listening because this is 
open to anybody, right? You don't have to be right. in a profession. To them, that may be that may sound so insensitive. Right. And I often wonder about that and and I don't know how deep we want to get into it, but we we humanize death, right? We have this innate fear of death because it's the unknown. We don't necessarily know that it's bad. All we know is we don't have that ability to connect with that being on this consciousness as we have anymore. And so I, I've come and I think the job has really trained me on being able to understand death in a different way. And I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think it's just the unknowing thing that people struggle with. And I, and I also think, I, I don't know how I want to say this, but religion plays a big factor in that because now you're acting as God in some aspects because you're taking the life of an animal. And so, or just taking making that decision to take a life or acting on that maybe it's not your decision but it's a supervisor or whoever checks off on that euthanasia and so there's a lot of factors that play into it but when it when you go back to like the aspect of that humor it's really being able to find releases and find ways to to cope with some of that stuff so i think it is important but it's also important to know your audience yeah, absolutely. And you talk about, um, you know, playing God in a sense, you know, that's why they call it the moral dilemma, right? Because you're in this field to protect animals. And what other field, you know, besides the animal welfare, animal welfare field, you know, whether it's veterinary or shelter work or animal control, do you take the lives of the very population you're trying to protect? Right. So think about doctors and nurses and police, police officers, social workers. We don't want to go there right now. Yeah. Social <laughs> workers, you know, the populations that they're trying to protect, they, they don't, they're not tasked with taking those lives. And so it's, it's very, it's unnatural. Right? And, and, and you have to have that, that sense of humor to get by. It's almost like that sense of humor is one of the many walls that you put up in order to do the job. You know, we used to play, and this is going to sound really sick, but not that we did it often, but, you know, I'd, I'd euthanize a, a little kitten and the, the assistant would, would hold the kitten up and, and like, I was like, fuck you, like a little kitty puppet. Um, and you know, people are going to hear that and go, yeah, you're, you're deranged. What they don't know is what you go home with every night. What, what keeps you up every night? Um, and so I think there's a lot of judgment. Um, but I think the people listening to this podcast who are in the field, they're going to connect with that. They're, yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been there. So, you know, it's just one for, of the coping skills for me, the euthanasia is the easy part honestly and, and that that stuff is like meh, i don't know i think partly because i know we're not euthanizing for time or space it's either behavioral public safety issues or medical issues right so i know that like i'm not taking the life necessarily of an animal that can be reintroduced to the community it's an animal that you know could potentially cause harm to another person or an or pet the the stuff that causes me burnout is there's a lot of different things but it's it's lack of support sometimes right mm -hmm. like not not feeling supported as a whole I, I feel our profession is so misunderstood globally that you know why does the dog catcher need certain equipment or tools right mm -hmm. and 
that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is, you know, knowing that your your abilities or I guess you're able to do a certain thing based on what your pro- your laws are and, you know, establishing your probable cause, but you want to help that animal or you want to help that person, but you can't figure out a way to do so because you just don't have the ability based on the law. Right. And so that can be a difficult battle as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I agree 100%. You know, uh, first of all, uh, I, I remember what it's like to be the glorified dog catcher, you know, um, People really don't understand that there's so many different aspects of the job. And oh, you know, how can you get compassion fatigue? You're just a dog catcher. It's like, you know, no, we, we investigate cruelty cases. And like you said, you know, if you don't have the right prosecutor or you don't have the right laws behind you, you know, um, those investigations can almost be in vain, right? Um, there is some compassion satisfaction in the job, of course. So I remember, you know, when I look back on my days, it's like, oh God, I, I miss the animal rescue, you know, where where you have a, a very grateful grandmother who, you know, you, you've rescued her cats or, you know, um, anytime when you're interacting with animals and people that are grateful. But the problem is, is though, those situations, at least for me, were so rare. You know, usually the public is screaming at you and swearing at you and bullying you and judging you. And, you know, I could go on and on and on. And, you know, I, I worked in a, a, a city that was full of a lot of, um, uh, how do I say this politely? Well, there's no way to say it politely. A lot of meth heads. Um, so a lot of people that were, you know, just high all the time and, you know, tra- breaking up meth head fights is, is uh, oh, there's nothing like it. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many different aspects to the job, you know, going into hoarding situations. And so there is a lot of trauma, you know, and you see very traumatic situations, both with animals and with people. So I remember a hoarding case where this very, very sweet old lady, you know, I, I could try to help her the best I can, but it's a really difficult situation, both for the animals and for her. Yeah. And that's, that's the, yeah. Go ahead, Dan. No, I was just going to say, like, that's the overall kind of feel of everything is like, our job is so almost codependent in some aspects in the community and it pulls on you in every way. Well, think about this, right? So you guys are trained to be animal control officers and all that comes with that. But are you trained to be beef counselors? Well, some of us aren't even trained, to be honest. So, No, no, no. Good, good point. Good point. Let's start there. But you're right. Like, beef counselor... Social yeah, worker. Be, exactly. Grief counselor, social worker, psychiatrist, well, not psychiatrist, psychologist, you know, all these different roles. I mean, this this is going to sound kind of dark, but, you know, even coroner or medical examiner, there's all these different hats that you have to put on in the course of just a day. Again, you know, but again, why would the dog catcher need all those? Exactly, exactly. And so I, I am so grateful that you guys are out here trying to dispel this 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 myth of ACOs being, like I said, glorified dog catchers. It is so much more. It is so emotionally taxing. But, you know, I think it's the same where, oh, you work in an animal shelter, you get to play with puppies and kitties all day. 
that's that's the furthest from the truth, you know? Well, let's jump into some of the, I, I just want to, I know we had a good little opening there and, and kind of talking some, some of the, the day-to-day stuff that we deal with and, and kind of what's familiar with, with our listeners and us as well. But I, I kind of want to rope back in here and talk about some of the things that, that are important as well. And I guess my first question to you would be, what do you think the biggest obstacle is that stops people from seeking some sort of mental health treatment? So personally, I think that, um, I I think it's a couple things with the animal welfare industry in general, well, helping professionals in general. So I include doctors, nurses, therapists. It's, it's the time factor, right? So for example, um, we offered a free uh, support group. This is with my other business, Deepwater Counseling. We, op- we offered a free support group for frontline workers uh, during the pandemic, and we didn't get a single taker. And what I realized at the time was these people are so busy and on autopilot, they are terrified to slow down. Okay. And this brings me to my second point terrified to slow down because I think a lot of people are afraid of what they might uncover. So it's easier to look out of a window than it is at a mirror. That makes sense. It's really tough to slow down and take a look at ourselves and to confront those demons. And I, I think that's probably the number one thing that, that stops people from going there. Have you potentially seen a change lately with, you know, 2020 being what it was and everything going digital. Do you think that more people have maybe been able to make the time now because so many counselors are doing online? Yeah, I mean, we have definitely seen an increase. Um, Now, when this pandemic first started and we first went online, we had a lot of resistance. Uh, People did not want to do the online world. And so the, um, the new clients really dropped off for a few months. And then I think as people got used to, you know, Zoom meetings and doctor's appointments being online and basically everything being online, we saw a huge uptick in new client referrals. And, and now people contact us, they don't even ask, oh, are you doing in person or online? They just assume it's online. And so we have had a steady stream of referrals um, for a good part of the pandemic. And so I, like I said, I think with Zoom meetings at work and basically everything being online, I think people are, even though they're probably really sick and tired of the online world, they've really adapted to it. Well, with, with that being said, I did a bunch of online sessions during probably during COVID. And first off, I'm not shy to to tell people that I think mental health like treatment or however you want to say it is important. And I don't do it enough. Honestly, I, I was doing it more consistent consistently in 2020. And I kind of got burned out with the online thing, truthfully. I, I felt like it didn't have the same the same kind of connection there. And it's easy to drift away when you're doing it online the body language, eye contact, all that stuff is just not there. And so I did quite a few sessions and towards the end, I was like, this is just dumb. Like I don't enjoy it anymore. I used to enjoy counseling and I stopped enjoying it and basically told the counselor, like until we're back to face to face, I'm done. Like I can't 
do it. I'm, I refuse to do it. And so, you know, that's partly on me because I'm sure now I could I could reach back out and, and get started on it again. But like you said, and I like that analogy, it's easier to look out the window than it is the mirror. Like I'm so overworked in some aspects, not necessarily from like my job specifically, but overworked in life, right? Whether it's work life, home life, you know, having children, et cetera, uh, doing this podcast, all this stuff takes time. Like anyone that follows our page on social media knows that like, we don't really give it much time or effort. And that's partly because I just don't have the time, right? Like it's the, if, if there was more time or more people, sure, that would be different. But the reality is like, we try to focus on the the important things, which are bringing the content here on the, the podcast, but we don't have time in the other avenues to keep, you know, the social media page current in some aspects and that's on us, but that is a, for me to share with the, the our listeners, that is a, I would say side effect of burnout. Like I just don't have the time or energy to put to it. Well, Dan, I would like to encourage our listeners like, and not to discount your feelings about doing the online counseling and stuff. At the same time, something is better than nothing. Like if you need it, reaching out. And if you can only find time at home, you know, online, something is still going to be better than nothing. So. I agree. And that I was thinking that in my own head, like at least doing something like you said, is better than not doing anything at all. But I just know for me, you know, long-term, it wasn't the answer. And so I need to uh, check in with myself in some aspects Mm. and, and really prioritize because here's the thing is how sustainable is it? Like, am I eventually going to pop because I have gotten so burned out that I'm going to make a mistake or I'm going to say something that I can't take back or I'm going to do something, you know, like, is this sustainable or, you know, will it, Will I burn bridges from it? Like I've burned bridges in the past. I'm not shy about that. Like I, I definitely have a, that type of personality. And, you know, I, ultimately that's not what I want to be like in this profession, right? I, I want to be somebody that can be counted on as a resource to anybody that's listening, right? I want to, that's why I invest so much into it. And so I want to be there for the community. But at the same time, when you, when you don't deal with that burnout, you start to cause other problems and, and what sucks is even though people are in the same industry as you, they don't necessarily see your issues as being burnout. They just see you as somebody having issues, right? Um, and that that's difficult because it's important for us to recognize burnout in ourselves and others and really provide that helping hand. Yeah, what are some things that if even if they say, oh, I don't have the time, they don't want to reach out, they don't want to evaluate those things about them that, you know, scare them. Um, what are some things that people can do though in the meantime until they have come to realize that they need to get some more help? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it, it's like if someone's struggling with addiction, right? You can't, you know, all the love in the world is not going to make them get help. They they will get help when they are ready. And we did an episode a while back on, on my own podcast talking about the stages of change. And the stages of change is basically, you know, stages that everyone goes through um, before we make a significant behavioral change. And you could include deciding to get mental health uh, help in that behavioral change. 
So people have to start to develop some self-awareness um, before maybe they're ready to to really start looking at themselves. And like I said before, to start facing their demons. So some of the things that can help with self-awareness are also some of the great coping skills that we have against compassion fatigue and burnout. So those could be, um, it could be journaling, um, and you could do like just random journaling or positive journaling. You could do what's called photo journaling, and that's taking a picture of something that brings you joy. And you basically make a, a, like a electronic collage out of it, or you could, you know, have a social media channel devoted to that and just be able to look at all the positive things in your life when you're really feeling down. It could be um, investing time in a hobby. And it's really important to try to have a hobby that is completely outside of helping animals. Okay, I know I know that can be difficult. I, I struggle with it too. Um, but for me, I love roller skating. I love music. I love jet skiing. And those things basically involve me, myself, and I. I'm not caretaking for anyone. I'm not trying to protect anyone. I'm, I'm taking some time to just focus on me. And when I'm just focused on me, I'm, I'm starting to develop some self-awareness, okay? So many people are afraid to be alone with their own thoughts because of what those thoughts, those thoughts could be very dark, okay? So I would, I would say if you're not quite ready to go and spill everything to a therapist, just start with developing a little bit of self-awareness, you know, do some journaling, um, do some things uh, that you enjoy that bring you joy, some hobbies, um, be creative. Nothing helps with self-awareness like creativity. So maybe you like photography or myself, I used to play drums, used to write write music. It could be painting or drawing, singing, dancing. Anything that's creative is also going to help kind of develop some self-awareness. And I think so many people in the helping fields in general don't necessarily, I mean, they have some self-awareness, but they're so what we call other-directed. They're constantly focused. I include myself in this too. Constantly focused on everyone else. Okay, focused on my family, focused on my friends, focused on my animals, focused on the community, focused on my job. Where do I fall in that? You know, and do I come last? And we really have to, in order to take care of all those things that I just mentioned, we really do have to put ourselves first. So I know that was kind of a, a maybe a long answer um, to that question, but I think it's really about developing more self-awareness and getting in touch with your own needs. And I think, Dan, you really hit it when you said, no, therapy just isn't what I need right now. Okay, well, maybe you need something else, right? Maybe right now you need more exercise or you need more <laughs> hobbies. <less> exercise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, that could be good too. But, you know, so the more self-aware we are, the more we know what our bodies need. So when sure. I'm feeling really down, burned out, compassion fatigue, whatever, I have to look inside myself and say, okay, do I need a hike? Do I need to go hit the jet ski, which her name is anger management because that's what she does for me. <laughs> she just, she just releases anger in me. Do I need to go listen to music? Do I need to just 
kind of sit outside and be mindful or do some deep breathing. What exactly do I need right now? Do I need therapy, right? So the more self-aware you are, the more you're going to know what you need in that moment. Is there, yeah. is there a way to overcome compassion fatigue to the point that, you know, we're not leaving our careers? Yes and no. Thing? <laughs> yeah, and, and now, some people might disagree with me. This this is just my opinion. Um, I, I think that compassion, well, compassion fatigue falls on a continuum. It's like a spectrum. Okay, so it's not like... So when you talk about things like clinical depression and generalized anxiety disorders, things that are actually mental disorders, it's an either or. You either meet the diagnostic criteria, criteria or you don't. It's black and white, okay? With compassion fatigue, there are so many symptoms and there could be so many levels of severity. So I always say, for me personally, compassion fatigue is always there, okay? I can't unsee what I've seen this line of work. I, I just can't. Okay. I know what's out there. I'm, I'm very aware of what's out there. But for me, now that I'm managing it fairly well, it sits on the back burner simmering. It's just there. I don't need to tend to it very often because I'm, I'm maintaining my self-care routine. I'm holding boundaries, things like that. But there are times that it's bubbling over on the front burner. And I got to take care of this now. I have got to step up my game, you know, uh, increase the self, increase the self care, uh, really start to look at: am, am I holding my boundaries or not? Am I overextending myself? Am I not exercising and eating right and sleeping um, as much as I need to? And then, you know, once I kind of get it under control goes back to the back burner and starts to just kind of simmer. So that that's my own personal experience. Um, other people might say, yep, uh, my compassion fatigue is cured. Um, but that, that's just my own personal experience with compassion fatigue. And I think part of the reason is I am still involved in animal welfare and animal rights, and I'm a trauma therapist. So mm. it's something that I constantly have to actively manage. It's like if I had diabetes, I just have well, to manage it. One of the things I haven't heard, and I'm sure it's not, not that you neglected to, to talk about it or any of us did, but there are so many environmental issues that can contribute to one's compassion fatigue. So there may be people listening that have different, just different childhoods and different trauma that they've experienced that may make them less or more likely to suffer from compassion fatigue, which is a, a whole other topic and conversation as we we go through yeah. and discuss things and, and that's that's important too is to realize what we're doing and the type of work we do could trigger some of those past experiences that could lead to even more severe issues right and so it's again taking time to understand oneself and under you know knowing that there you know there may be more work to do and it may be a lifelong thing right it's not just one thing and that's what's important for us to have people like you come on the show you know we we've talked to the humane educators of texas that are working on the peer support group which it's not you know i know code three's talked about it this is not an isolated thing like this is a huge thing that we as an industry deal with and and we we all often say it and i'm actually waiting for one of my buddies from the south i'm not going to put his name out there but he's he's sent some uh 
text messages like, hey, let's chat, let's chat. And I've been patient about letting them reach out to me, but I might uh, just in turn reach out to them because I know they need to chat, right? And so it's important that sometimes you're, though you're busy with your life and you realize that somebody needs, you know, needs to just get some stuff off their chest. Sometimes you don't have to wait for them to reach out to you. You can also pick up the phone and call. So that's just important that we recognize that as well. So Jen, I, I want to talk about your book to save a starfish. Can you give us some, some insight onto that? Absolutely. So, you know, I was mentioning how creativity can really create self-awareness and be therapeutic. Let me tell you what is therapeutic is writing a book <laughs> on this subject. I mean, you know, you talk about trauma. So, you know, so many of us have a trauma background and, you know, a lot of stuff came up for me while I was writing this book and, and a lot of things I, I was forced to face a, a lot of things simply by writing this book. And so, um, but the reason I wanted to write the book in the first place is because as a counselor, you know, we talk about this limited time, right? We have limited resources, just like the earth has limited resources. I was only able to help so many people a week. And those people were limited by our license. So it's state mandated. I can only work with people from Michigan as a counselor. So I wanted to have um, a further reach for people. I just, I'm so passionate. I want to help every single animal welfare person in the entire world. Um, and so I wanted to have, uh, like I said, a further reach. So with the book, I was able to do that. Um, you know, I'm able to... Um, reach people within the United States and, and abroad, and there's no barriers there. So that's, that's the main reason that I, that I wrote the book and, um, you know, all the other projects that I'm working on is it's, it's just to be able to extend the reach. Yeah. Speaking of extending the reach and kind of going back to what we talked about earlier with online counseling, being that you are targeting our profession, is there any jurisdictional limit to you? Like, are you only dealing with people within your community or can anybody reach out and do like online counseling with you? So as far as counseling, I'm only allowed to see people in the state of Michigan. Um, now, I, I should let me let me back that up. The United States has really strange laws. So I can't see <laughs> someone in Ohio, but I can see someone in Canada. Hmm. I can't okay. see someone in yeah, I can't see some see someone in neighboring Indiana, but I can see someone in Japan. And that's because Indiana, Ohio, all these other states, they have their own licensing License. laws. But, but when you go abroad, it's like kind of fair game. Okay. So and, and again, that's why I started all these other projects so I could be more accessible to people outside of Michigan. Um, so for example, I can provide coaching to anyone. Now, let me say a word about coaching. There's, there's a huge difference between counseling and coaching, okay? So if you are struggling with, you know, I could really just, um, I could use a, a plan to incorporate some self-care. Um, I need to work on my boundaries and I, 
you know, I want to have an identity that's more focused on who I really am rather than just uh, I'm an ACO. Like that's my identity, right? I want to work on kind of expanding who I am, prove my self-esteem. Okay, I can help you as a coach, okay? Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I'm pretty sure I have PTSD, I want use my insurance and get a diagnosis and work through that trauma. I can't do that as a coach, okay? I can only do that as a counselor. I can only do that in Michigan. And that, that pro probably sounds really confusing, but I just want people to know is they sometimes get frustrated when they'll reach out to a coach and the coach says, I'm sorry, I can't work with PTSD. That's because they are not trained and licensed to diagnose and treat mental disorders. So think of coaching as the on the surface stuff. Okay, so I can help you with coping skills. I can help you with self-care skills. We cannot start diving deep into your past trauma. I cannot give you a diagnosis because that's putting on my therapist hat. That is strictly regulated. Um, and I'm limited to Michigan. Does, does that make sense? It yep. does. And I, I think it's a good time to talk about people's EAP programs, their employee Ooh, assistance yes. programs that really provide for our specific program. It's six sessions at no cost to you for each incident. Or So let's say you're dealing with, all right, let's just say it's compassion fatigue and you call your EAP and you're like, hey, I'm having a hard time at work. Like I've been struggling with euthanizing animals, whatever it may be, something like that. And then you go through those six sessions and now, okay, now I'm starting to have relationship issues. So you can call EAP and say, you know, my spouse and I, we've been arguing, et cetera. We would like to do that. And then from there, you go through those six sessions and you're like, you know, I've been really distressed and having anxiety over financials due to COVID, right? And so now you can talk and, and it's, I'm not trying to manipulate the system. I think for our profession specifically, counseling should be free period. I think it should be, if you need to seek a counselor, there should be no cost with what we deal with. That's my personal opinion. And I'll stick to that. I think that would take some of the stigma away from it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it's, you know, when I remember with my dad, like growing up, he, you know, he, he wasn't into the idea of counseling. And it's probably similar to a lot of our parents that are, you know, some, the, people that are similar to my age, that stigma was just figure it out on your own. Right. But really what you're doing is you're suppressing the issue and you're causing more issues uh, in, in that aspect. So Jen, as we start to conclude here on the show, I just want people to know where to check you out. And that's your website is compassion fatigue couch. That's all together. Compassion fatigue couch.com. They can buy your book there. Yes. Um, so there is a link there, but you can actually buy the book on Amazon. But if you go through the website, it'll take you right to Amazon. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And with that book, we are going to give away a copy of the book. And we'll put a link to that contest there in the show notes of this episode. So just make sure you go click on the link of the show notes. Do you want to let the listeners know how to win the book? Yeah, so um, when I give you guys the link, um, you're going to click on that link, and it's just going to have you enter your name and email, and then um, I will s randomly select a winner, and we can do, what do you think, a week? week after the podcast goes live? Yeah, that People sounds a chance great. to enter? Okay, yeah, that we'll do great. that then. Yeah, and then I will con I'll contact the winner um, by email. Perfect. So, we really I, I will say you. that the, yeah. the book is in my... Uh, 
wish list. I have not. It's one of those. It's it, like you had said earlier. It's one of those. Like, are you ready? Are you ready to do it? Are you ready to work on yeah. what you got to work on? But it's there. Hit purchase when list. you're ready. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Jen, we really appreciate you taking the time today to chat with us. Just hopefully, even if it's one listener, like today or whenever you listen, honestly, that gets something from it. Like, I know we've done a good job, right? And it's that's the that's really what sits with me is I know I'm there, I've been there, and I'll probably be there for a long time with just balancing the the mental side of the of the profession that we do. And you're not alone at this. That's what I want people to understand is we're here as a community. Uh, I think as we continue to grow, our profession still has a lot to do and, and grow. You know, I often joke in some of the sessions that I do that the dog catcher image wasn't this like creative mind, creative mind of like a Disney character or person that came up with the character. Like that was a reflection of who we were. Like I want people to stop and, and take a look at that. We were like our profession was the dog catcher. That's what we were. That's how we were represented in our community. The only thing that Disney really did was maybe embellish on it a little bit, but they didn't have to be that creative to make that character, to make that villain. And here we are, you know, maybe 30 years from that. And it hasn't necessarily caught up yet. There are some, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, we are being represented better in our communities now, but we need the rest of the world to catch up and see the great work that we all do. And I, I'm hopeful that, you know, people like you, Jen, and some of our other guests that we've had on the program can help continue that legacy of our profession in, in that aspect and, and getting the, the people that need to know to know exactly what it is that we do. And then as that continues to fall into place, we will definitely, you know, get the, the equipment, the training, the tools that we need to continue to succeed as a profession. Well, thank you guys for having me. I love you guys. I so respect what you guys do and all of your listeners and, you know, just keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks thank for coming you. on today. And to our, all of our listeners, again, thank you for listening. Please share your feedback. Don't forget to check out CompassionFatigueCouch.com. Pick up the book to save a starfish on Amazon. And, you know, like, share, rate the podcast. Check out Jen's podcast 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 <laughs> as well that is the compassion fatigue couch which can be found on apple podcasts are you on spotify with that as well i've seen it on apple podcasts mm -hmm. good so you can check that out there as well and you know we we just want you to know that there's a community there for you whether you're a small town one officer dealing with a bunch of different you know jurisdictions like ho bishop or maybe someone like me who's in a, a bigger town and just having a lot of different you know a lot of different teammates and partners and dealing with a lot of different types of calls as well. We're all one community and do the same job. So you're not alone. And again, thanks for listening. And as always here on the Humane Roundup podcast, we like to say, keep it humane. 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 humane.